Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg. Just a couple of quick corrections before you start the podcast. First off, I mentioned that the Liam Neeson movie, The Marksman, comes out January 21st or 22nd. I was wrong. The Marksman, Marksman is now out today, January 15th. Secondly, Bruce and I referred to a person in the documentary, Some Kind of Heaven, as David. No, his name is Dennis Dean. That is it. Those are the two corrections. I'm sure you guys will find some more errors, but those are the two I caught. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Take care. Hey, everyone. We're back with another week of Find Your Film, the Find Your Film podcast. We do a weekly movie recommendation. I'm Greg Srizavasti, sort of like the host moderator. When I say say moderator, that means I kind of talk the most, but that means I moderate so I can let the real aces of the podcast get to work and talk about cinema the first ace is eric holmes in uh for our video podcast which i never post up on youtube as bruce perky announced before or before the pre-tape yeah um, i i need to do a better job with that but anyways for our video stuff eric holmes has renamed himself not just eric holmes but on the zoom camera he's called himself the friedkin Flex, F-L-E-X, Flex, time to have. I'm not going to rhyme with that. But the Friedkin Flex, you, what what videos, what DVDs were you showing me and Bruce before we started recording Eric Holmes? What were some of those DVDs you were flexing on camera? Well, we got we got one that uh, Bruce will talk about later. So I'll, I'll hold off on that. But the other two are The Hunted and Rules of Engagement. I went on a, went to Entertain Mart today after work and went nuts with some uh, freaking DVDs. Has so. Entertain Mart start, started, had they started to sponsor our podcast because Shudder, Bruce Berkey and Entertain Mart, I've got to start pulling some of that audio. You've been, I'm, I can't even say pimping Entertain Mart. You've just been organically mentioning Entertain Mart. They have a really good selection, right? Do they have a, is it better than like a Dollar Tree? Do they have like just a, a wide oh, array? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It, yeah, it's, it's basically just a giant warehouse with a bunch of movies, video games, board games now, uh, records, CDs, books, like everything. And the place is huge. I don't wow. know if they'd be down for it, but uh, maybe if you guys make your way to Colorado Springs <laughs> one day, maybe we just do a live podcast and entertain Mart one of these days. Oh, that would be sweet. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Once I mean, we make up, clear with we them, could be, <laughs> but that'd be kind of cool if we could, you know, sitting in a corner, like a, like a record sign, like a book signing or something. <laughs> People come by. Hey, who are you guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Bruce, Bruce, a matter of Bruce and Perk, that it's Bruce Perky. He is the second ace that a matter of Bruce and Perk. I'm, I'm not going to, I always ask, I always try to tease it with Bruce. It that deals with a certain movie that he is covering this week, by the way, Spoiler alert, A Matter of Bruce and Perk. It's real moniker, I'm not going to say, but that movie is quite the movie. Now, Bruce Perky, do you have an entertain mart wherever, so, uh, something like a facsimile of that around your neighborhood? Can you go to a warehouse and shop to your heart's content for Blu-rays and DVDs? We have something in the next town over called Second and Charles, which is mm. kind of similar. I think it's maybe a small chain but they have like a ton of used DVDs and Blu-rays and uh, records and gaming stuff and T-shirts and posters and books and stuff. So yeah, how far? I mean, do you, when's the last time you were there? Do you, do you still? I guess you haven't because of uh, sheltering in place, right? The last since March, you haven't gone as much to the next. Well, town? I mean, I go out every day because I work with the public, but I I haven't gone to that place in eh, maybe a month. I probably go there once every month or so, and if I have something specific I'm looking for, I might see if I can find a used copy sometimes. So, I think okay. Bug was the last thing I got there. 
Oh yeah, Buck, which you love, and I still haven't seen you guys, Bruce Perky and our William Freakin expert Eric Holmes. <laughs> yeah, I I don't say that in jest. I just say that I'm laughing because it's I I love Eric so much, and I love even more that he loves Eric uh, William Freakin. But William Freakin was actually our first director spotlight for Find Your Film. We do a director spotlight once every two weeks. William Freakin, if you look at our Find Your Film podcast feed, he was the first director we spotlighted. That was Eric's choice. Bruce Perky, your last choice. What was your last director spotlight choice? Uh, Hal Ashby. Hal Ashby was Bruce Perky's last director spotlight choice. My director spotlight choice is, oh, by the way, we recently also did Oscar Michaud, an African-American filmmaker, and we covered the movie with movies within our gates and body and soul, both of them silent films. They're streaming on YouTube, various other outlets, and also the Criterion channel. My, I'm just going to tease you right now. My director spotlight, we're going to be taping that next Wednesday, is this filmmaker named Maya Darren. And the only reason why I know who Maya Darren is, was, is thanks to Bruce Perky, who just mentioned Maya Darren on a previous podcast. I don't know what specific podcast, but he mentioned Maya Darren and this short film she did called Meshes of the Afternoon. Again, a short that was released in 1943. I've only seen portions of that of that short on YouTube, and it looks visually arresting and beautiful. And I am a visual guy. Brian De Palma is my, my main man. I love Jalo. We all love Jalo. So it's all about visual cinema. For me specifically, Bruce Perky, you mentioned Meshes of the Afternoon that episode is it because when you were young you were introduced to Maya Darren I know we're going to get to that episode but just tease your very that was one of, that. of those that I actually got in a film appreciation class and we went through a whole segment of like experimental and avant-garde filmmakers and she was one of them and was it Stan Brackage and um all that kind of stuff. So I forget the other guy did like Kenneth Anger, those kind of people, mm. all those guys. But she kind of stood out. And then later on, I remember seeing Mila Jovovich, you know, Mila Jovovich, she actually put out an album and the video she put out for the album was a direct homage to Meshes of the Afternoon. So that it came back into my mind again. And then I was like thinking of it when we watched Vampire recently. Oh, yeah. Okay. Eric, you were going to say. He mentioned Kenneth Anger, and I'm like, that would be a really good uh, director spotlight sometime <laughs> sometime oh. down the road. I, I remember they had like a, uh, a D- and we're getting way off track, but they had that DVD with like a bunch of Kenneth Anger shorts on it. And I watched that and I'm like, I don't know what the hell this is, but this is freaking cool as hell. <laughs> if we um, ever do that, I have a Kenneth Anger story because I have met him and I have, I won't talk about it now, but later. <laughs> Oh, very cool. You, Bruce, Bruce Perky. When I was in my early 20s, I believe Kenneth Anger released these books called Hollywood Babylon and Hollywood mm-hmm. Babylon 2. And those are very, I wish I still had copies of those books. You've never heard of these books, Eric Holmes. I'm, I'm assuming Hollywood Babylon and Hollywood Babylon 2, I think. If you go through them, they're just amazing to read and eye pop in, to say the least. I bet you Hollywood Babylon did what it did to me. And then I bet you it introduced you to the Black Dahlia. Yes, it did. You Thank you for invading my conscience. I, did, did, I forgot that was back in 93. I am now emotionally scarred for the rest of the podcast. Thank you so much, Bruce Perky, for being my cinephile friend and haunting my very dreams. Now, speaking of which, for this episode, we are going to haunt your dreams, maybe even your reality, your daily life with three featured movies, okay? 
the first movie, I'm going to throw this to Bruce Perky. We can either go with a thousand cuts or some kind of heaven. Bruce Perky, why don't you pick the first one that we're going to review? Um, I Let's go ahead and do a thousand cuts first because I think it's a little heavier. And then we can end with or, or continue with the, some kind of heaven because I think it's a little bit more varied in tone. So, Okay, well, here, here's the thing. A thousand cuts, it is... I'm Filipino American. I've been to the Philippines several times. I'm 49 now. So I, I, I went there when I graduated high school a couple of times in my twenties and most recently about six, five, six years ago, I only know the Philippines on a very surface level. I have family there. I love the culture. I love the food. Basically I'm a tourist. Okay. So I, me being Filipino American, I don't have any kind of advantage going into a thousand cuts. I've been to the country. The great thing of something like A Thousand Cuts is it introduces us into the Philippines, not as far as its culture goes, but as far as one of the biggest hot topics, controversial topics, subjects that's going on right now. It is that has been going on the last several years. It is President Rodrigo uh, Duterte's war on drug, Duterte's war on drugs. And it centers on Maria Ressa, R-E-S-S-A. She is the CEO of Rappler. And it focuses on her battle with the government to actually have her and her company and, and her newspaper, Rappler, or online media magazine, Rappler, continue to report on Duterte because it's free, you know, it's free press. It should be free press wherever you go, especially in the Philippines. But the fact with Duterte, he's not he sort of bucks against that. And he does not like the reportage from, from um, Rappler. And he goes on sort of a hunt against Maria Ressa. Now, that is essentially what the what the documentary is about. I found it really immersive. And it actually takes a look at Ressa's problems with you know being convicted and bumping heads with the government as long. And it also focuses on, focuses on different journalists who work under Rappler. And it also shows a different side of the coin. And we get to see someone who's actually a supporter of Duterte. And, you know, we get to see both sides. We know where a thousand cuts is. It's pulling for the press, freedom of the press. But we get, I'm glad we got to see a, a little bit of why some people would support this war on drugs. Eric Holmes, your overall thoughts on a thousand cuts. Well, it was definitely infuriating to watch. The uh, Duterte guy is, what's a good word for him? A garbage human being. And I don't know that he's murdered someone, but he's clearly has no issues with murdering people yeah he even uh, said he even said yeah i've murdered three i've killed rodrigo r duterte president duterte he said i've killed three people during the interview with ressa so yeah yeah. uh, i mean he's clearly not a good guy and the fact that he has a uh followers i mean granted there's probably people that follow him out of fear because uh, he's he's the president, and I don't want to get killed. I don't want my family to get killed. So just whatever, you know. And then the uh, lady reporter that's uh, reporting on her, and you know, she's got to go through pretty much hell to report on him to the point where her friends and family don't want her to because they're worried that they're going to murder her or assassinate her. Would probably assassinate assassinate her might be the uh, more correct term. Yeah, I, I mean, only- for example, she's sorry, she's <laughs> travels. She travels internationally. She's celebrated in the U.S. As soon as she lands, I'm assuming in Manila, she's arrested, right? For yeah, her yeah. her actions. So to your point. 
My um, my only problem with documentaries like this, and I blame Michael Moore, is that I don't like. Obviously, Duterte. There's no question that he's a bad guy. He's he, <laughs> he explicitly says it out loud. So it, it, there's not like they're not you know taking it out of context or anything like that. It's not that I'm worried about. But when you get political documentaries, I'm always I don't quite trust them because I don't know that we always get the full story which I think is if you're doing a political documentary, it's very important you do that. People like Michael Moore have played fast and loose with that in the past and other people have taken hold of that style to the point where I, I get it. You want it, you have this thing that you want to break out to people, but you need to tell the truth as best you can, because when you don't, then you have documentaries like this one. I have no reason to believe this one's cooked in any way, but the, just the fact that I don't know is kind of a problem, but interesting point. I, on this, on the same token, it's definitely, uh, it definitely raises a bunch of questions to where you know maybe look it up, maybe you know maybe I you know as a viewer I got to do my homework, and so but yeah this is a this is a very good documentary and it definitely shines a light on a part of the world that I didn't know existed and that some people may think only exists here because there's uh, I mean it's hard not to think of it's not hard to think of our own government when watching this it's heartbreaking to watch it's infuriating to watch but it's also enlightening as well you know it's it's not easy but that's that's not to say that you shouldn't watch it you know some people some people need that kick in the pants and also also with uh, documentaries like this i wonder i wonder if these documentaries get to the people that need to see them and i'm not always sure they do which is also unfortunate but yeah, so that is bottom line. It is a solid recommend for you. Light recommend, Eric. Oh, it's a heavy recommend, but oh. it's just, just it's it's Good. it's it's infuriating. And uh, again, the uh, I think the the people that I would most recommend it to probably would never watch it, and if they did, they would not see themselves in it, which they probably should. Very good. Oh, very good. Very good. Bruce, what what do you think about the sometimes the veracity, the POV of investigative journalism type documentaries such as this, uh, to Eric's point? What was your slant and, and take on the documentary as a whole? Well, as a whole, I think it's pretty effective because, I mean, I guess the big point of this one is two, two different things. One is kind of exposing you to kind of the way they're fighting this war on drugs, like very viscerally you know, literally killing people in the streets. And then it really talked a lot about kind of using social media and how social media is kind of, I don't know, weaponized to fight against the press or whoever they want to fight against. Now, I guess the other side of this story that, you know, Eric is kind of talking about would be how much has the country been ravaged by drugs and crime? I'm I'm assuming it has been greatly ravaged by drugs and crime, which would make this hard, you know, hardcore response you know, appealing to the people, but that doesn't take away the fact of the (laughs) kind of the evil that this guy is doing. Uh, And I wanted to mention, we didn't talk about it, but I think that this was really interesting to me because we had seen the watch list in the summer Mm -hmm. and watch list is kind of the dramatic small one family version of this issue. And then here we're getting to see more of the documentary kind of bigger world political version of, of the same issues going on. I also wanted to mention something I found very interesting in this documentary was kind of the weird people that are surrounded in his sphere in Duterte's sphere. We get to see a couple ones. There's the one guy, let me look up his name here, Ronaldo Beto De La Rosa. 
And he's kind of this tough guy, you know, tough guy cop turned senator turned populist guy who also will sing and, you know, be the friendly guy, but also you get a feeling that he's also probably killing people. And then even stranger, I thought was there's this woman who's kind of his, kind of his social media, like outlet because she's a dancer and she's really beautiful and she's kind of like pop group and she's, yeah. what is it? Uh, Mocha Usan and there's these Mocha, Mocha girls. Yeah. And there's Mocha girls are like, kind of like fly girls or something. If, if you're old like us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And just the fact that they kind of use this sort of whole other side to kind of get that popular appeal is, is very interesting. So uh, overall, it's a, it's a recommend for me too. Uh, I don't think yeah. it's cinematically really like, like beautiful or spectacular or inventive. This is a very straight ahead documentary, but the information is compelling. So, yeah, I would say if you, if you like these power of the press versus government investigative journalism type slash corruption documentaries, and this is this is just a straight ahead meal for that, and that's Eric. You're gonna. It looks like you wanted to say something. Oh no, I was just scratching my chin. <laughs> Scratch. It's very stop. <laughs> Eric Holmes, stop scratching your chin. You look very pensive and insightful, and I'm looking for. I, 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 I was stuff. doing. I was doing a bunch <laughs> of drugs before we recorded. Oh, okay, guitar team's gonna kill me. <laughs> okay, and again to Bruce's point, watch list. I don't know why I'm laughing. Okay, I'm gonna stop laughing now because watch list is actually an interesting movie directed by Ben Recky, R-E-K-H-I. If you, I hope it's on digital by now, but if you can track down watch list, I highly recommend seeing that and a thousand cuts, maybe even seeing that before a thousand cuts. That would be, that would be very interesting to check out. I highly recommend both. Eventually, I, I believe next week we're, we're going to, I forgot to tease next week. We're going to do some kind of best of 2020 list as well. And Eric Holmes a spoiler alert, watch list is something that has been swirling around your brain for a little bit as well, right, Eric? Yeah, it, it, uh, I won't say for sure it'll make the top five, but it's, 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 the, there's like the, the, I got three locked in and then the other two are like, the, it's a revolving door. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But just as, as you go off that tangent for a second, I, so many people say that there weren't any good movies this year and i'm having trouble <laughs> narrowing it down to five is a pain in the dick but uh <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get there <laughs> i've never heard that pain in the you know what I, that's very cool so that is a thousand cuts oh bruce strong recommend for you just solid recommend for a thousand cuts um i would say strong definitely and i think for most people it's going to bring them something they haven't quite have any knowledge of most people aren't going to have any idea what's going on over there so it's good okay so i i alluded to initially at the beginning that i am the moderator and the thing is with bruce and uh, eric they're the aces they're the aces they come up with really interesting stuff i learn from them more than vice versa i learned a lot from oscar michaud thanks to eric holmes's pick a thousand cuts that's really bruce porky's pick he messaged me out of the blue on Facebook and said, hey, you know, I think it'd be cool if we covered a thousand cuts. And I go, what the heck is that? <laughs> Again, it's, I hate to say it. It's not a running joke. It's the truth. I looked into my Gmail and I had a plethora of emails trying to pitch me a thousand cuts. Thank you, Bruce Perky, for doing my job properly. So a thousand cuts is currently available on PBS Documentaries Prime Video Channel. You can also catch A Thousand Cuts as of this recording. It's on YouTube. Via, I believe it's a frontline YouTube channel. I am going, if I if I remember, I'm going to put that link for our podcast show notes. Hey, on YouTube for free, worth checking out. 
right? So yeah, so recommend all around for us. And oh, Eric Holmes, you have something it, now. No scratching chin. No, yeah. no. You said it's on YouTube for free. Is yes. it legally on YouTube for free? Because I yes, got in trouble yes, for yes, doing yes. something like this. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Okay. It is on YouTube legally. Thank you, Eric Holmes. Legally on YouTube for free. I will po- post up the, the link, the legitimate link up there. So, and then I'll be arrested the next day. But no, <laughs> but seriously, that, that it is free. It is uh, legit. Too legit to quit. So that is a thousand cuts. That is our first movie review, all encompassing movie review. Now, this time... Around the, for this pick, this is actually my pick, and I actually sort of did my job. There's this movie called Some Kind of Heaven. It is executive produced by the great filmmaker Darren Aronofsky. I was when I heard the name Darren Aronofsky and I saw the trailer to Some Kind of Heaven, I was very interested in this movie. It centers on this retirement community in Florida called the Villages. Everything here is just so positive, so. I'm lost for words. I don't see the slums. I don't see death and destruction. I don't see murders. You don't see a lot of children running around here either. You're not going to be tomorrow the same age you are today. So think about you. You come here to live. Don't come here to pass away. You don't need to go outside the villages. You would never have to leave. Everything you ever want is here. Everything is here. The restaurants, the golf course, the tennis courts. If you try to come off as you're bored, then you're full of it. Because they have everything here. There is no place like this is Nirvana. One, two, three. <laughs> and when you look at the trailer, it looks like a very Douglas Sirk suburban in from the 1950s throwback. It has this really stylized Technicolor look. And then you look at the trailer and it looks like, oh, is there, are there people taking drugs? Is there a murder? Is there some kind of saucy sex situation going on? And I'm not going to spoil too much about some kind of heaven, but ultimately it's directed by Lance Oppenheim. I interviewed him earlier. I mean, late last week, the guy is half our age. So I already hate him. It's such an, I found it to be a very interesting debut from Lance Oppenheim. I, I thought it was a very wonderful film, but it's not, it seems like a sexy salacious. No, not seems like a very interesting pulpy type of movie, but it uh, type of documentary it's stylized, but it really focuses on the lives of three individuals or three sets of individuals living in the villages. I found it very compelling and it's a short watch, 82 minutes. I really recommend this movie. I loved it. Let's start with you, Bruce Perky, your thoughts on some kind of heaven. I thought it was really good. The best things about it are they pick three, well, you said three groups, one's a couple and then two other people. Right. Picked three very compelling and different stories to follow i guess you'd say because it is a documentary you just say it was a documentary or yes documentary yes yeah and it's about the villages in florida it's got the biggest retirement community so on and so forth and they didn't they say it was designed by the same people who designed disneyland or something like that i I mean (laughs) it has that feel to it right it has a really disneyland disney world feel so 
So I thought those stories were really compelling. I, I especially ended up by the end gravitating towards Barbara. I thought Barbara was a story all of her own, but each of them does have something very compelling about it. I guess, and I, this is a, a definitely recommend for me uh, as far as documentaries go. I mean, that it's like we just talked about one where the subject matter was compelling because it was a lot learning things that you maybe didn't know and discovering some things. This one's more, I think, compelling because they found very interesting personal stories, you know, to follow. And I think that's a different kind of documentary. Bruce, I'm going to interject. You mentioned Barbara. Thank you for that. Barbara, listeners, not going to get too much away, Barbara. She is sort of the, I don't know, it's not a pejorative, but she's sort of a a little bit of a lonely heart in the villages. She is a a widow. She continues to work. She wants to save enough money to actually leave the villages, to, to go back home. But we really follow her story. And what's interesting about her without giving too much away is she is the most, she is sort of the wilting flower among the three sets of people that we see in some kind of heaven. But by the end of the movie, she, you, you, without giving too much away, you go, it's a knockout. It, you, when, where you see where Barbara ends up towards the end and you go, I, I was, <laughs> I, I was, a sl- I was slumbering or, or, or feeling bad watching Barbara's story, but seeing what she could do at the end in just one yeah. glimmer of a moment knocked me out. So yeah. sorry, Bruce. Yeah. I was going to say only if I have any slight thing that I would say I didn't like as much about this documentary, and this is very slight, is that I just wish the villages itself had been more necessary to the story. I think it's somewhat necessary, but I think honestly, yeah. a good documentarian could go into any retirement community in the United States and probably find equally interesting and human stories, because I mean, that's really the story, right? Is that people get above a certain age and we just kind of, you know, farm them off someplace. And then we forget that they're people and that they have these ongoing lives and loves and heartache and whatever it is. I think the only story that I would say is kind of necessarily attached to the villages is David. I won't say what David does, but he is there because the villages is what the villages is. Or I don't know if I'm mean saying the right grammar there. Anyway, yeah, that would be out of necessity, only, out of necessity, yeah, that would be my only kind of tiny like dig to it. But eh, it it's not enough to really even be a problem. It's just I wish I could have had more of the villages too. You know. Okay, but okay, cool, very very good. But, but it's a strong so, recommend. Strong. Oh, recommend. very good. Strong, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm so happy. Eric Holmes, the movie, the documentary, some kind of heaven. I like. I love the stylization. You as a cinephile, did you like the stylized approach to the documentary? Did it work for you? Did these stories of these people work for you in general as well? Well, speaking as a cynist as I am, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this actually uh, reminded me a lot of Nomadland. I kind of had that uh, same sense of community, same interesting character. I mean, not same, but like similar. You're, you're just kind of hanging out with interesting characters doing interesting things noah detarte would not care for one particular person in this documentary <laughs> um. there, there is a there is a couple their name is i believe Anne and reggie i believe and they've been together for 47 years of marriage reggie is a so he's he's sort of on his own track let's just say to your point eric holmes yeah but yeah this was uh a, I don't know, kind of like a slice of life. I mean, unlike a thousand cuts, this one's definitely not as, this one's pretty light. Like, you know, they get, you know, people have their emotional problems and so on and so forth, but it's not, this isn't like a huge bummer where it's like, oh God, like, it's just, you know, 
where when uh like a thousand cuts is just anger and vitriol and why are you doing this and i can't and then i watch this i'm like all right this is a this is a bit of a reprieve like i i I can i can take a breath here and you know they're both they're both valid but they're both like night and day different and they're both equally good too just in completely different ways okay so that is a solid recommend for you eric holmes yeah and uh again i don't know if you guys would agree but if you like nomadland i can't imagine you wouldn't like this because they are very similar in kind of tone and just how they introduce and hang out with the characters throughout yeah i agree i agree you know what i love about some kind of heaven is it's not it doesn't feel like a high caloric meal meaning you're not going to get a big steak after watching some kind of heaven it's just a nice, light, good enough meal for 80, 81, 82 minutes. Stylized, some really good stories. You don't feel weighted down by your food at the end of this documentary. But what I would say is a sign of a good documentary like this is, this is one of those documentaries I could have fully understood like in the last shot, like it goes to black and it says what each of the people are doing now. And you kind of want to know what each of them is doing now, but it doesn't oh, do that. Sure. Yeah. So this is one of those examples where if it does the job right, you're interested in all of their stories and you kind of want to know what happens to them and they're real people. So I think that's to its benefit, I want to say, or to its, I don't know, it does its job well. <laughs> so. I agreed. And this is not, no disrespect to the other two sets. Like, I think you said the other guy, David, David's a guy who's sort of on his own. Ann and Reggie, they're the long married couple, but you were mentioning Barbara. If that director, Lance Oppenheim, just did a documentary on Barbara, Pre, just I would watch that through and through. She is such a fascinating character. And what makes her fascinating is she doesn't think she's fascinating or charming or charismatic. Yeah, charismatic. But she is, which is very, very cool. So that is some kind of heaven in theaters and on demand January 15th. So I'm glad that we were able to see that. Two documentaries. Because I just told this to Bruce Perky. I said that to him last week. Bruce, you are like watching 20 films this week. Let let me and Eric Holmes just lighten that proverbial load. <laughs> I don't want to. So, okay, no jokes. That was, I don't mean that in any kind of innuendo. No innuendo. The marksman. We decided. I was thinking Eric Holmes is a fan of Liam Neeson. I'm not saying you're not a fan of Liam Neeson, Bruce Perky, but you have a lot of movies to cover this week. I decided to get a, a screening link for me and Eric Holmes, give you a little bit of time off because you're 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 wondering you're like digging what's in the box all the time so you're you're all about that now the marksman comes out oh it says here january 21st but yeah but we actually we're, we're the embargo is lifted okay so whew, you know what we should have actually you know what that that is my my fault the marksman we should have covered it next week but the embargo is lifted so i i was again like last week listeners I, I screwed up with Eric Holmes. I said, hey, let's just do body and soul. <laughs> let's just do body and soul. And within our gates, I just told Eric, to, Eric trusted me. I just pulled those out of a hat. I pulled body and soul out of a hat. What's so interesting, Eric Holmes is, I don't know if you know this, coincidentally, both, both silent films, both of those Oscar Michaud movies were scored by DJ Spooky. So, and one of these days, I hope you get to listen to those beautiful scores for both those films. Now, The Marksman comes out Jan- January 21st. It is perfectly legal. We are, the embargo has lifted for this Liam Neeson film. Eric Combs, have you been a lifelong Liam Neeson fan? Do you, right, right from like next, what is it, Next of Kin or what did he do? He, what are the, some of the um, early stuff? The first Liam Neeson movie I liked was probably Dark Man, but I didn't know 
it was Liam Neeson at the time. I, I don't think I really knew who Liam Neeson was probably until the Phantom Menace, probably. That's where the name in the face kind of stuck. And then I go back, oh, he's a guy in Darkman or Next Kin or whatever. But, uh, you know, then he's got the the Taken movies and those are, you know, they're they're dumb fun. But, you know, they're, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of dig them. The Grey where he fights the wolves, but it's a little more than that. It's actually, uh, he doesn't even fight the wolves till the end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. And I, I hear them, you know, I've, I've actually, I remember there was a plane crash in, in the gray and I hear that's a very good movie and underrated. I have to actually end up watching that film one down the road. The marksman again, comes out in theaters in theaters. Not, we're not talking on demand, digital, none of that stuff in theaters, January 21st quote plot summary. A rancher on the Arizona border becomes the unlikely defender of a young Mexican boy desperately fleeing the cartel assassins who pursued him into the U.S. The movie is directed by Robert Lorenz. He is a lifelong collaborator with Clint Eastwood. Robert Lorenz, he's also directed that movie. What was that movie he directed from? Yeah, Trouble with the Curve, eight years, nine years ago with Clint Eastwood and Amy Adams. Sort of a baseball aging Clint Eastwood movie. I still haven't seen Trouble with the Curve. The Marksman, my my take on The Marksman is I'm a huge Liam Neeson fan. This movie is, if you like Clint Eastwood style paced movies, and I mean that in the best of ways. I love the rhythms behind all of, pretty much all of Clint Eastwood movies. I haven't seen, what was the one where the train to, what is it, I, I, the 1521, something like that. What was that movie that he did? The last thing that Clint Eastwood did? 1521 to the whatever or 420 to 69th street or whatever. Yeah. Whatever that movie I haven't, that's the, that I haven't seen 1521 to Paris. Is that what it's called? Anyways, I haven't seen that. Oh one. But I, I, I like most of Clint Eastwood's movies and I definitely have to see trouble with the curve after watching the marksman. It is a, the pace of the movie. It seems like when you look at the marksman and it says Liam Neeson, you think it's going to be some kind of bloodbathy action packed movie. You're not going to get that with the marksman. It's more of a straight up drama about this rancher who decides to, I guess, sacrifice his well-being for the benefit of a young Mexican boy because he offered a promise to Mexican boy's mother. So, Eric Holmes, your overall thoughts on the marksman? I, I liked it. I did not love it. I'm trying to find the best way to put this. This seems like, well, first of all, uh, Trouble with the Curve. I did like that one a lot. And this this kind of has a similar kind of, kind of like you said, similar vibe to the uh, Clint Eastwood movies. This one feels like uh, the screenwriter read a book on how to write scripts and hit everything perfectly. But somehow it's, it's uh, I, I I can't I can't quite put my thing I can't quite explain it right. But it, you felt it, it was like, too too predictable, too rote, too it, it by the numbers. Too, it feels too perfect. They bring up certain things, and then the things they bring up is like, well, that's going to be a plot point later on, and then it becomes a plot point later on, and then they bring up, oh, clearly they're setting up this thing that's going to show up later on, and it does, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But with this one, like it, it was, I don't know that. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it was just, it was just a little too perfect for me. And I wish uh, this had sort of a little more grit to it, okay. but not, not just in the visuals, but like within the storytelling, I, I think they could have taken this a little further and, you know, I, I don't know there's just something missing here. And I think 
I think it might be the voice of the screenwriter. Okay, fair Pro- enough. Probably because it, it it feels like you know you take ten people reading the same how to write a screenplay book, and they're all going to come up with this exact same script. Mm. And the, mm. that, I don't know, it, it's it's missing something, and I can't quite put my finger on what. But it's I'm it's not a bad movie. It, it's definitely uh you know it moves. It's enjoyable. The quiet moments are, you know, they're they're quiet, but they're nice and. You know, but it, it just, I, I don't know. It's missing a do you, punch. Or, do, you, do you recommend it? Does it go on the recommend or does it go like, ah, almost there, to, but I don't kind of, rec- I don't recommend it. I would say if you like movies like The Mule this or Trouble with the Curve, not quite as good as Trouble, not quite as good as either one of those. But if you like those type of movies, you'd probably get into this. This might be like the, uh, what do they say, the movies your dad likes. This is probably one of those. You okay. Know, not a not not a strong recommend, but there's definitely a there's definitely a group of people that would uh, like this, and there's actually probably a group of people that would hate this, especially with what happens because uh, the whole you know white guy helping the Mexican family, like the mm. the white it's it's got a bit of that white, white savior, savior complex thing. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Fair and enough. so yeah, just be aware of that if 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 you're the type that watches a white savior movie and you get pissed off about it stay far away from this one but for everyone else like yeah if if you like the mule watch this you'll probably like this too very cool very cool eric holmes you know what i'm almost 50 i am not a dad like bruce perky i don't know if i'll ever be a dad but i guess i'm in the dad category that said i love this movie i love the movie i love the marksman because robert the director robert lorenz doesn't go for a pulpy, gritty narrative. He focuses mainly on the relationship between the rancher and the boy. The relationship itself, you were talking about screen screenwriting, they could have really punched it up and made it more sentimental and flowery and with all these really interesting flourishes. They don't do that. A lot of the dialogue between the rancher, who, by the way, is a former Marine, and the son and the Mexican kid is is very unadorned. It's very, you know, it's a, it's mainly a point going from point A to point B type of movie. And I liked the lean sparse way of the marksman. It literally just worked for me. I know a lot of people will not go on my, I I guess I I was going to say, I was going to actually tip my hand, but it, a lot of people won't probably won't be on my side of the road on this. Okay. But I, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of people who really love a lot of the no frills storytelling behind the marksman. That said, a lot of people will not like the dry approach to the marksman. Did you want to say something, Eric? Yes. Yes. I just, I just remembered this Liam Neeson's character in this. He's playing Charles Grodin from all his 80s movies. It's like, oh, I just don't like kids. <laughs> like, like the, the, I don't know. Is it a, is it a spoiler saying something that, uh, that drives the plot? Well, uh, someone, okay. why, why, he has, why he has a kid, would that be a spoiler? Or is that just what I, it's about? You know what? Here's the thing. I think, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just say it's something. It's a mini spoiler. Like, I, well, you can you can dance around it. You can dance around. Well, it. Let's just say something traumatic happened to this kid, and and now Liam Neeson has him, and he has to bring the kid somewhere. But shortly after this traumatic thing happens, uh, the kid's you know obviously not talking, kind of down on himself, and Liam Neeson's like, "What the hell's the matter with you, motherfucker? Did you not see what just happened ten minutes ago?" <laughs> 
<laughs> why aren't you chatty chatty effing kathy here you but, know, but yeah i think uh yeah i was in i saw that and how he kind of interacts with the kid early on and it was like yeah he's uh liam neeson's definitely channeling his inner charles groden which kind of appreciated a little bit so the, the marksman it looks you you know you have a you have a poster here. It has a, a beautiful vista on top of that. You have Liam Neeson behind a gun. I think I'm not saying it's false advertising. It's really more of a drama about the dynamics between the rancher and the kid. Yeah. There is action in the movie, but if you're expecting a blood guts and all that stuff with a Liam action packed Liam Neeson film, don't expect that with the marksman. If you're, if you like Eric Holmes says you like some of these, I hate to say it. It's not a bad thing. Dad dramas like trouble with the curve, the mule. I, again, I'm a huge Clint Eastwood fan. I, this is a movie that's made for, for people like me. And I, I think you kind of almost liked it, which is kind of good. Yeah. They, yeah I, I definitely did not hate this movie. It, it was just, you know, they, they was just kind of missing something. It's kind of like a, it's almost there. It's almost, a, but, but like uh it's between red and orange. I can't tell if it's red and I can't tell if it's orange, but you know, it got a particular set of skills. <laughs> I ch- channel into my inner Charles Grodin because I don't like kids. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good, sir. So, so yeah, that- I, actually, the more I think about the Charles Grodin, this is actually bumping me into the red. I think I like this a little more. <laughs> you, you like this a little bit more. Thank you so much, Charles Grodin. Thank you so much for your 80s work. And we all love Midnight Run as well. Thanks, thank you. Thanks to the work of Charles Grodin. Eric Holmes is now is now lightly recommending The Marksman coming to theaters on January 22nd. Oh, 22nd. Now, I, you know, Bruce, I got to open my emails more. Opening January 22nd, I highly recommend The Marksman. Again, with the caveat of take a listen to Eric's review as well. See what side of the fence you're on. Actually, that side of the fence remark actually really is apropos regarding some of the themes of the marksman. So we are done with our three featured reviews for this week. Some kind of heaven, a thousand cuts, the marksman. We are going to for our first movie recommendation. We have no movie rewinds this week. Actually, we do have a little bit of a movie rewind. Eric Holmes, you were going to mention something uh, during our movie rewind segment. Yeah, uh, actually, the, uh, Jack Fitzpatrick, he's one of the uh, people that posts on Cinematics, and he has a YouTube called Let's Crash This Parade. Okay, yeah, we love Jack. <laughs> Jack's very funny. Yeah, he uh, he posted the top 10 superhero movies of 2020. Mm. And I, don't, I don't think I should spoil any of this, but uh, it was quite comical. So I would suggest go uh, find uh, Let's Crash This Parade on YouTube. Or just go on the Cinematics Facebook page, and he posts on there. And his name is Jack Fitzpatrick, and he's uh, quite hilarious. And that particular video he did, <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's almost as good as a can of Pringles. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, Bruce, and Bruce, you you uh, co-sign on Eric Holmes's take on Let's Crash This Parade's Jack Fitzpatrick's re- take on right. superhero movies or whatever that is, yeah? I do co-sign and I also co-sign on the fact that behind him is backdrop is his wall of, of DVDs and he's got them color coordinated. So that is pleasing to the eye as well. All of his orange DVD covers are next to and then all of his blue DVD covers are next to him. So I want oh to my. give him credit. Well, we need to send Jack. Well, you know what, Eric, Bruce, we need to send Jack Fitzpatrick some Jallo DVDs over from over. Uh, I was going to say down under over in Australia, but 
I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that because Jack Fitzpatrick probably knows how much of an idiot and I am and I don't have I was if someone's gonna say Dan Under would be the stupidest guy in the room and that's me. But uh with Jack, I also like Jack Fitzpatrick's video essay. He had he did a recent video essay on one of my favorite films of 2020. Actually, probably one of your favorite films as well, Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky. He did a great video essay on Sound of Metal. So sub yes. to sub to his YouTube channel. Let's crash this parade. Some really interesting stuff. Again, also sub Bruce Perky's YouTube channel, Rustomeyer, where he does all these movie reviews. He has like three or three and a half million views on his channel. <laughs> and you know why? Because he watches a lot of movies and reviews them. First up, first review from Bruce Perky all by himself is Hunter. What is it? Hunter, Hunter. Very cool. <laughs> what? Okay. What is this movie? I. What is the heck is this movie? Is it a Ger- Gerard Butler movie? What is this? What is this movie? Uh, Hunter Hunter. It's a Canadian production, I believe. Uh, twenty twenty, but it's still only video rental, video on demand rental. So it's brand new. Uh, directed by Sean Linden. So this movie it star. It has three main characters: a mom, a dad, and a daughter. The dad you will know is Devin Sewa. Sewa. I don't say I say the name right. But Devin Sewa. In- Devin Sawa, yeah, Sawa. Dude, recently that, was dude, pronounce his up. name right. He's he was he's the star from the Fanatic, man. That's exactly from right. The... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Chris. From the sorry. Fanatic, yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. His daughter Renee is played by Summer H. Howell, and his wife Anne is played by Camille Sullivan. There is another actor in this movie I am not going to mention because you have to discover that actor is in this movie. Oh, so basic wow. concept of Hunter Hunter. It starts out they are living off the grid in the forest somewhere in Canada, you don't know where they have to basically like walk to their car, like a mile or something. And then they could drive to their car to the, into town to get supplies and go back out. The only people almost don't even know where they live. They're living on a cabin, no electricity, no power, nothing. And then they make money almost the old fashioned way. Like they trap. So the beginning of the movie is them going and getting all their, the stuff that, that's been in their trap. And as they're going, the dad and the daughter are working together. The daughter's about 12 and he's obviously teaching her the ways of hunting and skinning and trapping and all of these things. And they come across a couple traps and there's only like a leg left behind. And very quickly, the dad starts to realize he thinks that there is a, a rogue wolf in the area. And the wolf is starting to eat out of their traps and obviously is not very afraid of them as humans, which is dangerous to them. Now, that is the basic setup of this movie, which would sound like a pretty interesting, you know, survival family maybe they're going to be wolf attacks and all that kind of stuff sounds awesome this movie takes a turn at about the one third to one half point and becomes something entirely different i'm not going to say what that is because you need to discover that to find out what it is i would say if there's anything that is against this movie there's a little bit of a there's a couple little mm, plot things that might not quite 100 percent make sense but i think they're excusable in this movie and it, it lags just a teeny bit in the middle because there's some setup for things to happen in the third act. But I will say this third act is very uncompromising. The third act is like, it's one of, okay, it, it includes a scene. You know how every so often you'll see a movie and you'll be like, this is the movie that has one of those scenes you talk about. Like, oh my God, it has one of those scenes. Pick a movie. I'm going to pick, throw some movies. Blow there, out. Not, Blow out. I don't know. Like Martyrs. Okay, I haven't seen Martyrs. Irreversible. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, which, which one in an irreversible? 
<laughs> I'm not okay. going to say. Uh, yeah. Eric, but Eric, how seeds... dare you? Uh, my mind is already haunted by Bruce's uh, comments at the beginning. You're, 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 you're scarring me right now. <laughs> yeah, there is a 10-minute sequence this moving that will either absolutely lose the audience or absolutely gain an extra star for people. And it is, it is something to see. So if you are a more daring viewer and you can go down those kind of paths, that's why I mentioned a couple hard movies because, you know, it's not as hard as either of those movies, but it definitely goes some places that you're not expecting this movie to go. I think it's for a little low budget movie like this. I think it's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Pretty good. You were talking about maybe a little bit of a, not weak middle, but you know, you're, you're saying how good the third act is. Do you think some of the lead up there, Maybe some of your complaints are regarding the middle of the narrative yeah. is is warranted because it's setting you up in that misdirection. Yes, I think it does. I think it mostly does. I mean, because what happens is you start asking a lot of questions in the middle, like, why am I watching this part? But then at the end, it kind of go back and you start filling in some blanks. Mm. And I think that this is one of those movies where it could show you a lot more than it does, but it lets you through certain scenes and settings and through certain things that happen, it lets you kind of flesh out a larger story that you don't get to actually see occur. And I really appreciate that where you kind of get a small part of a bigger world. We kind of talked about that recently with like the headhunter. So you kind of can write a larger story around it. That also does sometimes lead to a little bit of plot holy kind of stuff that you kind of have to ask yourself. But I think most, most of those are tied up in this movie enough that you can, you can let it go if if you're on board anyway. I would highly advise if it sounds somewhat interesting to you the way I've described it to not watch trailers because I believe trailers do give away some later changes in the way the plot goes that tells you things that are really fun to discover organically. And okay. I only knew about this movie because I had heard I heard I think it I think William Lindis had mentioned it at some point that he'd watched this and it was pretty good. And I was like, "Okay, I'll check it out." So and uh, I was good. Okay, that is Hunter Hunter. Bruce Perky, you actually rented this, right? Yeah. Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky, why do you rent stuff? You guys have like 500 streaming options. Because you guys are dedicated. I like, I like to support the filmmakers. Okay. Uh, you're, cutting, you're cutting short right there, right? Uh, Bruce, <laughs> what you, is that same same answer? You like to support the filmmakers as well? Yeah, well, I mean, I look at it this way. Like there's certain, it's like anything, right? I think of this as like, would this be a movie that I would have been attracted to go see in the theater? And if it is, then, and it's out now, and it's the only way to get it, like, it's the same thing as going and going to see it in the movies. So okay. that's the way I look at it. Now, if it's something that I wouldn't have, I would have waited for it to come out for rental, then I'll wait for it to come out to stream somewhere, you know? So, yeah. Well, here, Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky spending their money on demand, rental stuff. And sometimes, you know, Eric Holmes likes to support filmmakers. I move that Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky fire Greg Srizvasi from Find Your Film because as of October 20th through the end of October, October, I was offered from this wonderful PR company. We'd love for you to be one of the first to watch the film and chat with the director along with all these other talent available. We we definitely want. So I am not <laughs> just I, I am so frustrated when you I talk to you guys because you guys are one of my best friends. I love talking cinema. But whenever you guys put some really interesting stuff, I have to go to my Gmail, which now is at 96,500 unopened emails and realize what a cretin and cretin and horrible person I say I am when I say I'm a cinephile. And it's Eric and 
Bruce, who are unearthing the very dark truths of my soul. Hunter Hunter, now available on rental and on demand. Thank you, Bruce Perky, for such a great recommendation. Yeah. Our next so let me, let me, hey, yeah, Greg, yeah. let me plant a plant a seed for you. Okay. No, no seed. I, it's, it's, I, I live on cement. No, go ahead. No, no. So. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. I think bloody hell is coming out soon. See what you got in your email for bloody okay, hell. Okay. Are we okay. going to do this in real time? Why not? I'm going to look, I'm going to, I'm going to look it up, Eric. When you talk about your next recommendation, it is, what is your next recommendation? By the way, the moniker Eric Holmes for your recommendation sounds like a Greg Srizavosti romantic comedy, right? So let's hear what, what, what do you got? Well, first of all, for uh, any publicist listening, if uh, Greg has not gotten back to you, you can email me at hamslime at gmail.com. Uh, <laughs> Eric is actually more professional than me or brucepurky at gmail.com, both really more professional as as a PR people for Max Cloud, anything for Jackson would know. Eric Holmes. What is- to, to, to be honest, though, I really love this bit. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a bit. It's a bit, but it's not. It's so real. It's real, real time. Yeah, real time. Uh, nervous breakdown from Greg Trusavasti. But what is your next film, Eric Holmes? My next one is a directed by John Stevenson. I believe this came out in September. It stars. Let me see. Brian Landis Fulkins, who I just realized is in Creep Behind the Camera. I don't know if I covered that or not, but that's a really good movie and. He's two for two as far as I've seen. And Amy Rutledge, who was in uh uh she was in a short called Cat Slaughter. I don't know what that <laughs> short is, but Bruce, you're not I, gonna watch Cat Slaughter, are you? You, you wouldn't you, would you do that? Would you watch Cat Slaughter? That's like man I'm writing, I'm writing it can... down. Hang on, Cat Slaughter. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you support the felines, Bruce Berkey. How could you do that? I, I support them every day. I have to scoop those boxes, so you know, a little cat slaughter is not <laughs> just hope it... I just hope it's not a porn. And and, uh, Will Wheaton also stars Will Wheaton from uh, Stand By Me. Stand By Me. And and he's he's also. Next Generation and I think Toy Soldiers probably. And this movie's called Rent-A-Pal. And anywho, Brian plays a guy named David, and he's a lonely guy living with his mom. His mom has dementia, and he's her caregiver. And so he doesn't get out much and he's very lonely and he wants to find love. And he does that by going, I think this takes place in like the eighties or nineties when they, I've never done this, but I guess they had a thing where you videotape yourself and then they send the tapes out to other women or women videotape themselves and they send it out to men. It's like a dating Mm. service sort of thing. Never heard of that. Wow. Okay. Apparently it was a thing. I vaguely remember something like that, but not really. But uh, anywho, Brian's, he's, uh, he's not getting uh, much hits from that. And he comes across this uh, tape called Renapal. It's a picture of Will Wheaton giving a big smile and thumbs up. And he's like, you know what? Screw it. And he picks it up, brings it home, and puts it in. Will Wheaton comes on like, uh, hi, my name's Andy. What's your name? Oh, that's nice. That's a wonderful name. You know, this is going to sound weird. But maybe we can be friends. How'd you like that? Would you like to be my friend? I want to be your friend. Hey, and so he's having, basically Will Wheaton's having a one-way conversation. And David's watching this going, oh, this is so lame. This is so lame. But then, you know, as uh, trouble, you know, 
as he's having trouble with his mom, he kind of gets into it a little more and he's actually kind of, Will Wheaton's kind of becoming his imaginary friend of sorts. And then things kind of go dark, but not in a way that I, that the setup would have you believe. So that's good, right? Because it's not predictable. It's not a predictable film. I, it, it kind of is, but not really. It, it, it goes in a, it goes in a good way. But uh, hold on, sorry, they're screaming back there. It, it I, I thought, I thought this movie was gonna go in one direction, and it kind of does, but it, it goes in a, a much more interesting direction than I thought. And one of the uh, things that really impressed me about this, this is, this is definitely a low budget movie. Will Wheaton, they, he's in this very little, but the way they utilize him. Because he's he's only on he's only on camera on TV, so I'm guessing they probably had him for a day, said all his lines. A lot of Will Wheaton's performance comes both from him, but I think a lot of it comes from the editor, because the way that the way that they cut in his lines in relationship to what Dave, what's going on in David's life really brings kind of a brings out a character where there shouldn't be one. Because not saying Will Wheaton's a bad actor, not not at all, but his character is just a really, really uh, kind of lame, you know, kind of lame vanilla type guy having a one way conversation. But the way they cut him in later on, as the movie gets a little darker and goes in different directions, it, he's got more of a sinister kind of angle to him, which I'm, I don't know. It, it, this is a really cool movie. Definitely a lot better than what I thought it was going to be. And I would check it out. Bruce, you saw this as well? I did, yep. Okay, yeah. but you saw this per Eric's recommendation then? Yeah, I, I had seen this kind of floating around the edges. I'd seen a couple of people talking about it. I hadn't, and it, so it was kind of on my radar. And then when Eric said he thought it was pretty cool and he was going to talk about it, I said, oh, that just gives me a reason to go pull the trigger and watch it now. So, because it's on Hulu, I do believe, right? Hulu. It might be on some other places too. I rented it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, <On> YouTube. <laughs> well, it is also on Hulu, I do believe, because I watched it there, I think. I just okay, wanted cool. to highlight a couple of things that you talked about and kind of accentuate them too. First of all, uh, was it Brian Landis Falkins? Falkins? I don't know how to say his name. Yeah. Brian Landis Falkins. Yeah. Falkins. Yeah. Falkins. He definitely is like, he has to hold this together. He does a really good job. He kind of looks to me like, if you don't know the lead singer of Queens of the Stone Age, he kind of looks to me like a more nerdier <laughs> basement dwelling version of that guy. What and they do a really, really good. This is a period piece. This is like obviously with the video VHS dating, was it like early 90s, late 80s, somewhere in that period? They do a really, really good job of just the period look of the house and the surroundings and everything where he lives. That's done really, really great. It's, you know, it's like you said, it's a low budget movie. And one of the things I'd also mentioned, he's talking about how. They edit and use the footage of Will Wheaton. The, the cool thing is you could easily imagine a movie like, like this, it being kind of like a black mirror kind of thing where slowly mm-hmm. the videotape starts like changing and starts morphing and starts talking to him. But it's really smart because they keep the footage. They show you new footage from the tape, but every time they show you footage again from the tape, it hasn't altered. It is the exact same footage, the exact same Intone like they haven't changed the intonations so it is really all about the editing and not only is it the way the filmmakers editing it but the interesting thing is the character is editing it too because the character starts there's a point where you know he knows the tape so well 
he will fast forward and rewind to like make it fit what he wants to fit. And there's points, I don't want to get too far more into it, but it's really interesting to see kind of how this character study, how he, it's a character study. I guess I would say most above and beyond. It's not well, a thriller as much as a character study. Okay. So Bruce, you mentioned you're correct. Yeah. You saw it on Hulu. It's currently streaming on Hulu. Eric Holmes rented it. I'm assuming on YouTube, YouTube should mm-hmm. definitely sponsor Eric Holmes. Cause he's been, he's been, uh, he's, he rents a lot of stuff on YouTube. You, watches on youtube a lot but it's rent you can rent and buy it and you can do a lot of things but for if you're on a per streaming check out hulu i see the the poster and it's you know the will wheaton on vhs and then you have the lonely heart the the lonely guy right he's looking at the image so devil's advocate someone just throwing out throwing it out to you guys this looks like a a two-hander this looks like a movie that's just very claustrophobic what would appeal to the viewer or does it just work in that sort of milieu that is claustrophobic in that sense i mean technically it's a one-hander uh-huh. <laughs> yeah the uh the guy that plays david uh brian Fulkins. one of these days i'll rec- remember his name he, he's actually really good in this and yeah it's 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 his movie and the uh amy rutledge she plays someone that he meets through the not through renapal but through the video dating thing and his mom is just She's just mentally gone. She, like she plays it really well, but she's not there. She's basically I, I, I don't know what what a good word for that human furniture. I guess like sure. she's just and again, there's nothing against the actress. She, her character, those characters are on the on the outskirts. It's all about it's all about David and what's going on in his mind. And then even Will Wheaton, he becomes a character because of David because of his interactions with the uh, video. Which, and here, here's the thing: if you got a, a low budget movie and you got like limited time with the star, this is the best. <laughs> they they basically took a cameo of Will Wheaton and stretched it out and made him a full character in a movie, which is dude, uh, brilliant. I guess would be a good word for that. Oh. And and I I could imagine this being where the main character is very one dimensional, like all evil, all crazy, totally like like disgusting or I mean they make him a three-dimensional character I think that's the key to this movie he acts it really well but they make him they make him well-rounded even though it's kind of a traditionally known sort of a character so I think that is that is the kind of the magic the magic element of this movie if that if it weren't a really well-rounded character that you understood and could kind of root for to some degree then it would be a lot less interesting I think I don't know. Yeah, what there's, is, but... the, there's definitely a terrible version of this movie. Yes. And that's what I thought I was going to get to. And yeah. it's not that it kind of gets there maybe towards the end uh, a little bit, but it's not, it, it's a lot more thoughtful than you, than this type of movie has any right to be. Cause it, the, the, the version of this movie that anyone else would make is the one that you're thinking in your head. As soon as you look at the, uh, the trailer or whatever. It's like, yeah. I know what the movie is. And it goes, it's a lot more thoughtful than that. Okay. So that is Rent-A-Pal streaming on Hulu and available for rental and purchase as well. Every single week. I don't know how long we've been doing this for Find Your Film. We're, we've been on this subliminal or this just I, this streak of Jallo cinema. We we try to do Jallo cinema every week. Or sometimes if it's not even the within the purview of Jallo cinema, 
I almost forgot this, Bruce, by the way. We, we'll do a, a Dario Argento film or, or a Mario Bava film. Maybe, they'll, maybe we'll cover one of their films and maybe it's not technically a giallo, but they're con- considered giallo films. The one, the recommendation to keep that streak going, and I'm not really going to get really deep into this because this, you could make, you could turn this into one big podcast. Okay. So I'm just going to skirt the issue just, just to keep our streak alive. I saw it this morning directed by Mario Bava. I love, we all love Mario Bava. We, we spotlighted him and Dario Argento on a previous episode. That was Bruce Perky's choice. That one episode, the film I saw and the reason why I'm not going to talk about it because this movie is pretty much iconic. 1960 black Sunday, Mario Bava's directorial debut. And I'm just going to read the plot summary quote, a vengeful witch and her fiendish servant return from the grave and begin a bloody campaign to possess the body of the witch's beautiful lookalike descendant with only the girl's brother and a handsome doctor standing in her way. All you need to know about this movie is it stars Barbara Steele. She is considered before and, and Bruce Perky just was raising his fists in support because he's known Barbara Steele, I would say probably 30 to 40 years before I did. So that's why I, I'm going to really skirt this. Bruce will, Bruce and Eric will probably talk about black Sunday. We'll talk about black Sunday in a deeper discussion down the road for find your film, but I'm just going to give my first impressions of, of it. Barbara Steele before Jamie Lee Curtis was a horror queen. Barbara Steele was a horror queen. And here's the thing you need to know about it. It's iconic, but within, within the awesomeness of what black Sunday is supposed to be, does it work today? If you're looking at through the prism of 2021 and the answer, in my opinion, it's, it's an acquired taste. And what I mean by that is earlier in the podcast, me and Eric were going back and forth about the marksman. It's an acquired, that's an acquired taste. If you, I love that because it felt like just a straight ahead story. If you like straight ahead stories, you're going to like those kind of Clint Eastwood films. With something like Black Sunday, if you want a straight ahead story, then don't watch Mario Bava movies. <laughs> watch Don't watch Dario Argento's Suspiria. So I just gave this on Letterboxd. I think I, I put a four-star rating on Black Sunday. First of all, the plot itself is just ridiculous. A, a witch is <laughs> a woman accused to be a witch at the beginning. She's murdered. They, they put a black, like a mask on her and they, they bury her or they, they do weird things to, and they do something with her, I think, in their back. And you're thinking black and white 1960s are torturing this woman. And you're, you're saying to yourself, wow, I can't believe they got away. First of all, they got away with this in 1960. Everyone talks about Psycho, Hitchcock Psycho. Some of the stuff that you see in Black Sunday, you, got, you, go, you think to yourself, oh, my God, this is pretty graphic for 1960. That's the number one thing that really stood out for me another thing is if you are if you are a man or a woman and if you love actors and actresses with deep set eyes that will either haunt or perplex or compel or make you lust or make you dream or make you scream in terror Barbara Steele has those set of eyes for you whether you are a man and a woman it's memorable once you see her eyes you won't forget them they are the big visual piece in Black Sunday. And now we're talking about visuals. The reason why you're going to love something like Black Sunday is if you are a cinephile who really is passionate about visual storytelling. I don't want to get into the plot of the movie or the acting because it's sort of not, you don't need to know the plot. You don't need to know that the acting is overwrought and ridiculous and the romance is doesn't feel real. It's an artifice. It's it's downright overacting and just sometimes even bad. Okay. But if you look at the compositions of Black Sunday, Mario Bava is a, was a former painter. 
by the time he was he directed Black Sunday, nineteen sixty, he was around uh, mid forties. It was his first film, so you got to think a guy in his mid forties doing this cheesy black and white horror film shouldn't work. But if you have twenty years as a cinematographer and before that you were a painter, what are you going to bring to something like Black Sunday? You're going to bring a visual eye for composition and camera fluidity that most filmmakers in 1960 and most filmmakers today will never touch. So this is a close to a masterpiece. I'm giving it a four star. That's my arbitrary rating. I'm sure this is a movie upon further viewing that I would even upscale to a four and a half, possibly not a five, maybe a four and a half because purely on the visual style of the film. I want to open it to you guys to, to see what your reactions just based on memory of, um, of your memories of Black Sunday when you guys saw it? Pretty much the same as you. I, I, the story is pretty preposterous. Now, I, I will mention, though, that talking about visual and everything, the opening sequence, the the past, you know, the getting the witch and, you know, <laughs> that that sequence is gothic masterpiece right there. That's, the, sure. I mean, it's right up there with like the kind of stuff you see in the old like Frankensteins and, you know, universe, as far as that test ground fog and, you know, hard blacks and hard shadows and awesome compositions. But, and that's the kind of thing I remember about this movie too, is just, it's just that, and he does this throughout his, especially his heyday, just this kind of Gothic masterpiece of, of camera placement, movement and lighting. He is just the master of lighting. Lighting is all, I mean, if you talk about with Argento, it's all about movement and these kind of crazy emotional, like weird set pieces with Baba. It's all about like the lighting and the kind of these paint, like you said, painterly like compositions where you can just stop it at any moment and go like, Oh my God, that is just like this beautiful, beautiful thing. So that's my takeaway from Black Sunday. So yeah, great take. Eric Holmes, do you have a memory of you've seen Black Sunday, but maybe you did it years ago. You don't have a no. This this was the one I keep confusing with the other one, Black Sabbath. <laughs> Black Sabbath, and specifically the word you lack portion of Black Sabbath. Is, yes, uh, yes. I, 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 I somehow, I somehow, like even just uh, we talked about it a couple episodes ago. Even now, I still think of it as a black and white movie. But uh, yeah, I'm going to have to hit up uh, Black Sunday again because there's almost nothing you know, there. There's just like know, vague, right. big images. You're actually accurate. The the word you lack, that is the second story of Mario Baba's film, Black Sabbath. Okay, released obviously after Black Sunday. And that the tone of the word you lack echoes the tone of Black Sunday. But the word you lack as a story, it's it's more mature. It's better than Black Sunday. But Black Sunday has Barbara Steele. It has, like Bruce was saying, some of the that iconic opening scene. And it has some of the worst romantic situations <laughs> yeah. you've ever seen in the history of cinema. But it's like this. It's like this. You can say a, a cinematographer is a really a great craftsman or an amazing DP or whatnot. And you, we've all, among us, we've all seen thousands of movies, but I can count on probably one one hand, the filmmakers who really, I go, okay, that shot, really blew me away or I can't make, you know, that, that movements or compositions that shock us. And that's why Brian De Palma is my number one. And I would say as far as shocking me, as far as a movie, a filmmaker that I will go back and see over and over again, much respect to Argento, his films, Deep Red, Suspiria are high quality films. And I would say better than the stuff I've seen of Bava, but I think I would actually go back and watch more of Bava Bava's work because like Bruce was saying about the compositions, the painterly 
aspect of Baba's work, even when it's sandwiched in this <laughs> cheesy type of story, it's just so seductive. It's just so seductive. I deep red. You look at deep red with all the colors and and all the stuff. It's it's gorgeous to look at, and and the the story itself is is weightier than maybe Black Sunday or even Black Sabbath. But I think to be honest, in, on my in my private moments, I'd probably watch more of Baba's sequences just just on loop. Bruce, do you see that sort of delineation that I'm trying to talk yeah. about? I could definitely see like I mean, and I think people do prefer one over the other based on those kind of things. Like once again, I had said that to me. Baba has his feet in kind of both worlds. He's a little bit in the classic Hollywood, classic cinema world. And that's where you kind of see that. And then on the other side, he's kind of getting into the more modern style of filmmaking. So he's kind of bridging that gap. So I can see you loving that a little bit more older style that he's working with a little bit there. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that is Black Sunday. It's basically streaming everywhere. I saw it personally on Canopy, a wonderful service that absolutely no one ever, no one has, unless you're in Los Angeles and or some some other city. But it's also streaming on Tubi, and it's streaming on Bruce Parkey's number one streaming service of all time, and that be Shutter. And we've got to work on getting getting Bruce Perky a free Eric Holmes. I know you have a streaming Abby, but Bruce Perky does definitely need some kind of free service from Shutter. Someone call Shutter. Tell him. Tell everyone that Bruce Perky's the number one fan. He covers so much of Shutter's material. But go check out Black Sunday, Eric Holmes. You know, he's probably actually the most diligent out of all of us. He might just watch Black Sunday a lot sooner than later. And uh, before we go to you, Eric Holmes, well, we are going to you in a way because Bruce Perky, you you took a trip to Los Angeles with Mr. William Friedkin recently, and some yes. of our friends, some of our oh my, you know, I'm I'm very bougie. So you you traveled to L.A. If you go to L.A., you got to go with the bougie. San Fernando Valley, Greg Srizavasti. You don't go with a bunch of middle-class film geeks. What are you doing here? So tell us about what the heck you were doing. You come to my bougie neighborhood first before you hang well, out with you guys. Well, well, well. Okay. So <laughs> to live and die in LA, William Friedkin. So the, the good thing is, well, let's say start with the bad thing. This is impossible to stream anywhere. You can't rent it and you can't stream it anywhere. William Friedkin, to live and die in LA. Why? Okay. You could get a DVD <laughs> copy, Blu-ray copy. So our friends at Middle Fat Class Film Class, they have a friend named Adam. He used to do um, uh, this kind of special screening thing in their town. Well, that's not available right now. So as a double whammy, because that's not available, and because this movie is not available to stream, he had a live watch party on Twitch of To Live and Die in L.A., so I jumped in on that very late, later than I should have Friday night. I had Saturday off. So instead of going to bed at 11, I watched a movie till one in the morning, but <laughs> it was, t- <laughs> it was tons, it was tons of fun because this movie is, is great. It might be tough for people because this is a very eighties freaking, this is like the most eighties, I think. And I'd have to go back and look at his catalog again. Sure. But this is about as 80s as freaking gets. In fact, to me, this is the closest thing to a Miami Vice R-rated movie. Even though it's not, it feels like it could be almost. It's in LA. So if it's LA Vice, I guess. <laughs> so what is what is live, to live and die in LA? I should only have to mention a few things here. You should be on board. Other than Friedkin, that should be enough right there. Uh, the main character is played by William Peterson. We all know him from CSI. We all know him from Manhunter and a variety of things. He always plays cops. 
He's this, I think he's supposed to be, no, oh my gosh, I'm going to be stupid here. I think he's supposed to be like secret service or something, something weird. He's not like a straight up cop because they're doing like, they're worried about counterfeiting in this, in this movie. And then the main bad guy is Willem Dafoe playing <laughs> Eric Masters. You also have a lot of other, a lot of actors you'll recognize in here, especially uh, John Turturro in a very early role. You have Dean Stockwell. Awesome to always see Dean Stockwell. Robert Downey Sr. And a soundtrack by Wang Chung. <laughs> <laughs> what can you say about this movie? Uh, it's it's a good it's a good score. It's a good theme. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> well, it works. It um, works. This has got every cop trope, every 80s cop trope, every, uh, it, it has, it, it's, it's on paper ridiculous, but it's so much fun. And if you love cop shows from that era, it's got everything you'd possibly want. It, it's got the camp appeal, but it's also got some genuinely great action set pieces, especially the wrong way chase on the freeway. It's got great scene chewing you know characters especially Willem Dafoe's character he's amazing in this movie uh it's I mean it's if you go in with the right attitude you can't ha- not have you can't have anything but fun with this movie you know this so. is one of I'm looking on IMDb this is one of the seven writing credits that William Friedkin has it is an 80s movie but do you see the Friedkin style is it slathered all over or do you think it's it bends towards the conventions of an 80s film it, it's like an yeah it's like i said it's kind of like if you think that miami vice era that style of movie but like twisted through friedkin because you definitely see some friedkin stuff in there uh like i said obviously the you know french connection car chase sort of kind of stuff going on but there's some moments in the middle of the cheese where it gets really cool and interesting in ways that doesn't have to be like there's a sequence where willem, willem dafoe is going through and he's uh, counterfeiting money and it's way more detailed and interesting than it needs to be. It doesn't have to be in there at all, honestly, but it's great. And it's just like this weird thing where you're watching him make the plates and how he's like, you know, etching the burning the images and he's making the money and he's putting it literally into a, a, a you know, washer and a dryer and there's all that stuff. And that kind of stuff feels like Friedkin giving you those weird kind of details and world building that he can do so well that he doesn't have to do. And then it goes back to cheese, <laughs> but it's, it's great cheese. So I love well, it. Eric Holmes, when's the last time you saw to live and die in LA? It wasn't that long ago, but it was long ago enough. I do remember that uh, Steve James was in it from American Ninja, the <laughs> American Ninja movies, rest in peace. And uh, I, I recall this movie, you, you bring up uh, Miami vice and this actually does look like a might from what I remember feels like a Michael Mann movie. And I think that speaks to, and what I don't think William Friedkin gets enough credit for is that he's such a chameleon when it comes to the movies he directs. Like, you know, almost like if you don't know that he directed ahead of time, you'd be surprised to find that he directed it. And then you'd watch it again and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see the little Friedkinisms in there. Um, Yeah, this was, uh, I will be be watching this one again real soon because as we mentioned earlier, (laughs) I was not able to, uh, because I I saw that you were doing that uh, watch along with the middle-class film class guys. I found that late. And then I was looking for this online. Couldn't find it, but you know, we, uh, we did the thing with, we did the thing with intensity. We haven't done one in a while. Oh, very cool. (laughs) I mean, this is the only way you can find it. So maybe, should we? 
yeah i it seems like a good idea maybe this would be the second one okay okay like, listen to live and die in la and then put it out there in the world and just see what happens of it maybe oh. maybe we'll hear from intensity again one of these days but if not maybe we'll uh i don't know but yeah li- to live and die in la is uh, bruce is right on it's it's definitely feels like a michael mann movie and i didn't think of this i didn't think of this as i was watching it because i i wasn't as steeped into freaking at the time but then you talk about him doing the the backward uh going the wrong way on the freeway mm-hmm. and you say that and then i start thinking about how like with the was it with the french connection i think he would do mm-hmm. like uh they would do car stunts without like closing down roads and stuff and now i'm thinking i'm gonna watch <laughs> that and be like Oh shit, dude! They so many people that was killed, and then, but I, I think there was like wasn't there like a thousand car pile up, and I was like, "There's, there, there's no yeah. way that he yeah. gets away with it if if this wasn't you know all staged." But I mean, that I, I guess that's kind of the the how freaking kind of gets visceral with his movies just because of his past filmmaking techniques, which. I'm, admittedly are quite dangerous and don't ever do that but yeah it's always it's only like the difference between watching uh something with uh, practical effects and cgi if it's cgi it's like well it's cgi there's there's no mystery behind how it's done you know when when you have a car chase in a movie it's like well they close down the roads they did this and this but if it's a william freaking car chase it's like <laughs> i don't know i mean <laughs> I haven't seen To Live and Die in L.A. since it was released in 1985. I believe I saw it on VHS. Okay. Not giving too much away, but I w- I'd like to say spoiler alert, but th- I'm not going to say spoiler. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it. But I saw it 35 years ago. I And this is this predates State in Maine with what Alec Baldwin <laughs> said in State in Maine. But even though the, the movie is set in the – it's an 80s movie. It has some of those tropes, like Bruce said. Bruce liked likes the movie. Eric digs the movie as well. I – I'm assuming I dig the movie because it's a freaking film to live and die in LA 1985. My memory of watching it is I saw certain scenes of the movie. There is something uh, within all those tropes. There is something that happens in this movie where if I actually could me as a 14 year old watching that scene, I said to myself, well, that just happened. (laughs) And I had no, (laughs) wow. So listeners, if you've never seen to live and die in LA, it is a movie in the 1980s. It has a score by Wang Chung. But again, it is directed by William Friedkin. He is a greedy guy. He is, he's going to pull some, some kind of cat out of the proverbial bag. And if you don't know, now you know. So that hopefully will kind of entice you to watch To Live and Die in LA, as well as listen to Middle Class Film Class. Those guys are our friends, and they do some really great deep dives on cinema. You guys were... Eric? One last, th- one last thing, and Bruce, you just saw this recently. So, it, it, am I right? Did the line "I'm getting too old for this shit" happen in this movie? I boy, I think it did. There's so much stuff in this movie that it's like a trope like that. I think it did. We started laughing because of how much ball talk there is in this movie. Like they keep. <laughs> Ball I can't talk. even. We talked about. We started making up a drinking game because they definitely say like kick them in the balls or like put some balls in this. It's like constantly talk about balls. There's a lot of male nudity in this movie too, which is weird. Eric, you got I, that I, wrong. I, Eric, you got I, that wrong. Bruce Perky actually said that to me and you last week after we finished. Oh, the get show. too old for this shit. I, I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they say I'm getting too old for this shit. I think it which might is be known true. for which is known for Lethal Weapon. 
but I think that this weapon. came out like three or four years before Lethal Weapon. Oh, so okay. Oh, um, Shane Black was ripping off Lone Free Can. Just saying. One last thing I'll say too before we go, because we got to get to other stuff here. But you were just talking about how it was different, like kind of a chameleon. It just made me think about it. You know the way to think about this version of Friedkin. This is like all those bands that were around before MTV came out. And they had their own style and they were gritty and no one wanted to look like. And then they hit the 80s and they all got glammed up and they all put on makeup and blew their hair up and got fashioned out. This is kind of the movie version of that. <laughs> and then, you know, Friedkin had his 80s moments, but it, underneath that all, he was still doing Friedkin. And then after that, he got gritty and crazy again. So that's the way I would look at it. My first question to William Friedkin is, Mr. Friedkin, Tangerine Dream or Wang Chung? Which one? Pick Pick which one, right? Hard to pick. Both Love to both those folks. We love, by the way, William Friedkin's Sorcerer. That is a masterpiece. You know what might be a masterpiece is this, is this email that I just opened right now, Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky. New trailer. Oh, got this a day ago. Bloody hell in theaters <laughs> drive-ins and on demand January 14th. Sorry, Bruce. I picked up that thread 20 minutes later into our podcast, as I do. <laughs> that movie. I have a bloody hell Red Band trailer. Should I should I request? It's on DVD and Blu-ray January 19th. By the way, folks, don't worry. Find your film. We'll get better. Eric Holmes and Bruce Berkey will be constant, consistently informing me when movies come out so I can continue to open my emails. Is, that, is this something that you're interested in to see? Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've heard a little bit of buzz around it. It might be terrible, but okay. uh, I think okay. it's an Australian over-the-top weird horror movie. That's about all I know about it. Maybe Fitzpatrick can me. tell us a little bit more about it. Is it Pringles worthy? I don't know. <laughs> okay, January 19th on DVD and Blu-ray. Maybe I will reach out to those PR folks. I will remember to see if we can get links for it for next week's episode of Find Your Film, but that is in the future. Let us stay in the present with Eric Holmes, what is your final pick for this week? My final pick is a 2013 movie based on a Dean Koontz book and starring Anton Yelchin, and it is called Odd Thomas. And you, this, you've seen oh, this before. Ahead. You've seen this before, or you just this is the first. Nope. Okay, no, okay. this is the first time watching it. Uh, I was it, it just uh, like, like I said, I'm a fan of Dean Koontz, but that, I don't know something about this just didn't the title just never really grabbed me and then uh you know i was like it came across and i was like you know what i miss anton yelchin i'll check this one out and uh he's great in this as he always is but the movie wasn't quite firing off for me basically he sees he sees dead people and he also sees these demon things called uh whatever they're called i can't remember there's some name for them i can't remember like the boog nash or whatever no that's the that's a ween head but it's it's, it's it's something similar to that, and uh, anyway, I don't know. It, it's kind of it's kind of sort of trying to be funny, and it's kind of creepy sometimes. And there's some there's some cool action set pieces in this, but it wasn't quite. I don't know. There's just something off about it, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And then I found out, oh, that's because it's written and directed by Stephen Summers, who did the Mummy movies, and I believe he did Van Helsing. For a while, he was a huge deal. I mean, I mean that with all the all the respect in the world. He is. He was. I'm looking on IMDb. He was recently announced to direct When Worlds Collide. It's all now right. 2021. His last film before that, <laughs> Bruce Perky. His last film before that was the 2013 movie Odd Thomas. And that's, he hasn't. I mean, he hasn't made a movie in eight years. And considering 
His movies include The Jungle Book, Deep Rising, The Mummy, The Mummy Returns, and 2014 Van Helsing, 2009 G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. Okay? You know, he, he directed huge movies. Eric Holmes. You, you just gave off a, a wonderful list of his IMDb, and I can say unequivocally, Odd Thomas is his best movie. Oh. Which is kind of damning with faint praise, but it stands. <laughs> this is his best movie. This is. So you recommend break. this movie? You recommend this movie? No, no. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah. th- th- this is a. This is a. Uh, <laughs> um, if, if, if you want to see uh, Anton Yelchin have fun, like if you're like me and you sure. miss him, yeah. I mean, granted, you probably watch like uh, Alpha Dog or Green Room or you know something good he's in. But this is like a you know we mentioned this is a cheeseburger. It's got plot holes everywhere. It's kind of stupid, kind of silly sometimes. Uh, some of the effects don't hold up, but it's I, mean, I, I almost feel nostalgic because it feels like an early two thousands. Like if you're nostalgic for early two thousands. Late '90s blockbuster movie. Mm-hmm. This whole scratch that itch for sure. Well, I'm gonna Bruce. I'm gonna ask him the obvious question. Eric Holmes, Odd Thomas, directed by Stephen Summers, or Odd Thomas, directed by Joe Dante? Oh, this was definitely was not directed by Joe Dante. <laughs> Do you think he could have made? You think Mr. Dante could have made it a be- better film? Didn't he direct Bearing the X? But anyways, yeah. So you know, you know, actually, this kind of the the story in this kind of fits with Stephen Summers kind of his oeuvre you know I guess yeah his, his filmmaking style or his you know the choices he makes as a director it kind of it kind of fits real good and like like with Michael Bay and Armageddon Armageddon's not a good movie but it's it's almost like a perfect marriage of director sure. and stupid idea like you know if anyone's going to do that stupid idea justice it's going to be Michael Bay that that's the most praise I will ever give Michael Bay, but uh, the, and I, and I don't hate Stephen Summers near as much as I do Michael Bay. I just I'm just not a big fan of his movies, but this is his best one, and this kind of this kind of story seems to gel with his filmmaking style pretty well. So if you're yeah, if you uh, miss Anton Yelchin when you want to see him, or you're feeling nostalgic about blockbusters of yesteryear, maybe check it out and have some fun with it. Otherwise, stay far away and in fairness like you were saying if you are a fan of that steven summers is if his if you're a fan of his body of work possibly odd thomas might appeal to you it's currently streaming eric there are i'm not one of them there are people that actually love the mummy if you like the mummy i liked it i liked it i like the mummy if you like the mummy check this out because it's it's kind of same wheelhouse just a modern day version of the mummy I also like Armageddon, Michael Bay. Again, it's an, it's an, a joke we made earlier in the, in the Find Your Film podcast. Michael Bay may be a pick of mine down the road because I'm all about diversity. Just kidding. Prime Video and Hulu. It's on Prime Video and Hulu. Thomas currently streaming. The looks on Eric in my face. Thomas currently streaming on Prime Video and Hulu. Bruce Berkey, uh, you, we're, we're talking about Anton Yelchin. Okay, what's your Anton Yelchin movie? Find Your Film recommended. Recommend. Love Antosha. Love Antosha, great documentary. Go check that out. Eric Holmes, quick. Anton Yelchin movie, recommend it. Green Room. Yeah, he's had it. <laughs> yeah, that's Man, besides a, Green Room, yeah. Terminator Salvation. We'll go with that. Okay, Terminator we're, Salvation. Go with the hot take. Eric, Bruce and Eric, hey, what's, what's... Hey, hey, here's a hot take for you. Yeah. All the Terminator movies, 
totally watchable. Very, uh, there, I said it. Accurate said take. It. It's an accurate take. I, I agree with you 100% on that. Bruce Perky, what's my Anton Yelchin pick? Eric Holmes, do you know what my Anton Yelchin pick is? My number one with a bullet? Oh, no. Oh, that one where he's gonna, the kid. What's you're, that one? You're, you're gonna kick yourself. You're gonna kick yourself when you when both of you guys get this wrong because I'm sure both of you love that. We all love Anton Yelchin. Okay, Star Three, Trek. Okay, okay, wrong. Yeah, Bruce, you wanna throw it out there? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the name of it. There's one where he's a kid. Where he's pretty young in it. What's that one? Oh, okay. Atlantis. No. Oh, that would have been a good choice. Anyways, three, two, one. It's over. 2014. He came out with this film called Five to Seven. It centers on his an aspiring novelist. He enters into a relationship with a woman played by Berenice Marlowe, and the, the catch is they can only meet in New York in this. I believe it's in the Plaza Hotel. From the hours of five to seven, it centers on a, his affair with a married woman. Don't know Eric or Bruce if you've seen five to seven, but it is a fantastic romantic drama written and directed by Victor Levin. You know, both of you know Victor Levin because both of you have seen Victor Levin's subsequent film. I forgot the name of the movie. It's um, I'm going to look it up right now. It's a movie he did with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. What was that movie guys that Victor Levin did recently? What was it called? You guys have both seen that movie. It oh, is the, Dest- lake, the lake house. Oh, I love the, the lake house. I love the lake house as Bruce uh, Perky scowls, but destination wedding, 2018, uh, 2018. No. He came out, he came out with that Victor Levin, but before that in 2014, he came out with five to seven. I highly recommend listeners. If you're a fan of romantic dramas, the chemistry between the late Anton Yelchin and Berenice Marlowe uh, is really, Anton really Yelchin. worth it. Anton Yelchin in 2015 was in a short he played dr jack stewart in a short called kiss kiss finger bang <laughs> really okay wow and again i, 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 I gotta <laughs> <laughs> got see that short and of course to bruce perky's uh, point love antosha is a wonderful documentary on anton yelchin now speaking of bruce perky you know, it, it, it's a huge matter regarding what's in the box. Bruce Porky, t- tell us, how is, how, is, how is the box going within the last week? Have there been more people giving you suggestions for what's in the box? And what are you reviewing this week? I have got a few more suggestions, but I'll put the call out every week so I can get more people to give me suggestions to go with more movies in the box. Bruce Perky at Gmail. Rustelmeyer Cinematics. You can find me a lot of places. This week is A Matter of Life and Death from 1946. Michael Powell, Emmerich Pressburger. And this is the reason I do this segment. To find a movie that I may have never come across or watched and to watch it. So we're going to talk about this movie. I, first of all, been meaning to watch a bunch of Michael Powell. And this just inspires me to go and probably over the next few months, I'll be talking about some Michael Powell films. For, for example, I haven't listened to Anderson and Greg talk about the red shoes yet because I want to see it first. Oh, that yeah. is also high on my list. Okay. So this is b- b- Joseph Bridges, by the way, was the suggestor of suggestor of this movie. Um, this isn't available that many places, by the way, streaming on classic uh, the classic channel. Also, I think it's kind of gone into the public domain because there's a lot of, of it, versions of it on YouTube as well. But I would love to see the 4K restoration of this, which is available, I do believe. I, I have it somewhere. I believe I, I received a Criterion Collection Blu-ray of A Matter of Life and Depth as well. So I'm assuming it, it comes, pops in and out of the Criterion channel now and yeah. again. 
Yeah. So short version of what this movie is. First of all, Soul, if you've seen Soul recently, probably was very influenced by parts of this movie. The basic concept is it starts out with David Niven, which you may have seen in the Pink Panther. He's been in a bunch of things. David Niven, a lot of times you saw him as an older British actor. It starts out with him. It's World War II. He's flying in a fighter plane or a bomber. It's heading back over England. It's on fire. Everyone in the plane is dead except him. He has no parachute. He is calling down to the ground. He gets a woman played by Kim Hunter named June. The character's named June. Kim Hunter. She's so good in that movie. She's so good. Yeah, she's really good. And he gets a hold of her and they have this talk. And basically they kind of have this momentary infatuation and kind of crush over the radio for just a few minutes. And she's heartbroken because he says, you know, it's finally time. I've got to jump, but I don't have a parachute. So you're the last person I'm going to talk to. And then he jumps. And of course, she's crushed that this guy she just talked to and made this connection with is now dead. Cut to the next scene. He washes ashore. He thinks he's in heaven. He's not sure where he is. He's walking around earth. He's not dead. He meets with up, up with her. She's an American, by the way, an American in England. She rides by literally on her bike and he meets her and they're like, oh my God, how did this happen? We're in love. This is amazing. What, what, how did this happen? And then, and this is in beautiful Technicolor. Beautiful. I mean, this the, the the way this is shot, it almost looks like The Wizard of Oz or something. It's that very, very vibrant, beautiful cinematography. And up in heaven, his co-pilot, who is dead, is arriving. And the amazing <laughs> thing is, the amazing thing is, this is like the reverse of The Wizard of Oz. So Earth is Technicolor, heaven is black and white. And the production design of the way they shoot heaven and the waiting rooms and all this stuff is very, almost like that expressionistic, like almost like Metropolis right. or stuff like that. It's really inventive, really interesting, really cool looking. And the thing is, they discover they're off by one number. Hmm, where do we hear that recently? We're missing one number up here in heaven. So uh, the whole point is they have to get him back up there. And he's trying to say, I have fallen in love. You can't take me. And I'll let the rest of the story play out. But I would say this is just a wonderful movie. Beautiful. Oh, it's also young Richard Attenborough in this and other people, Raymond Massey, really famous actors in history. It's just beautiful. It's amazing. It's kind of got elements of almost fantasy to it as well. It's just wonderful characters. I, I mean, I don't know how what else to say. It's it just, has fantasy, sort of a little bit of a courtroom aspect to it. Yeah, there's, there's a courtroom aspect. Yeah. Yeah, Eric. There, and yeah, and there is a little bit of a, you know what's great? If I'm, I'm doing this from memory, maybe I saw this almost two years ago, you think it's this really interesting romantic drama comedy, but then even the supporting characters, there's one character who also gets right almost as much time as they do. So the the storytelling is really good. And for towards the beginning of find your film and even maybe movie, when we're doing movie mainline, we're talking about Jalo cinema and the reds of Argento, the colors, Bruce, you mentioned Technicolor. This is one of those moments where I think why maybe, I don't know why you and I have not, and maybe you, Eric, have not actually watched Powell, Michael Powell films and Pressburger films. Movies like A Matter of Life and Death and The Red Shoes, they're from maybe the 40s, from an, a different era. But if you actually just play it on your Blu-ray or watch it on streaming or rental, those jalo colors of Argento's red and will sort of mesh with Powell and Pressburger's use of Technicolor. It, it's a feast yeah. for the eyes. And even if you don't like the story which most likely the story is amazing their stories are amazing anyway it's a feast for the eyes and a feast 
for narratives. If you love narratives, they're, they're perfect kind of films. And there are a couple of things I'll mention really quick. There's a scene where they're in like this kind of grove and there's like the green foliage all around them. And there's some flowers that are, I think, red, if I remember correctly, and all this stuff. And it's just amazing, amazingly beautiful. Like that to me, almost is like the Wizard of Oz, that like beautifulness. And there's also some effects in here that are really, really good. There's some, there's, so there's moments where everything freezes and there's a moment where everything freezes oh, yeah. and characters walk through, walk through like, like a bar, like bars, almost like you saw in the Terminator 2. And it's, and it's, it's seamless. And it had to have been done with just, with straight up animation. It's the only way I could figure out how they did it, but it's not even mentioned. They just do it. They walk through it and the, com- the scene goes on. And some of those old style in camera and right. animated and practical effects and matte paintings uh, are just wondrous. And one other weird thing, there's a moment in here where uh, the doctor character has a camera obscura and he's using oh. the camera obs- obscura to watch the neighborhood. And it inspired me like, I want to turn one of my rooms into a camera obscura with my kids. That is going to be my project coming up. <laughs> that is cool. That is very cool. Yeah, you know, A Matter of Life and Death is populist filmmaking. It's avant-garde filmmaking. It's so There's so many ingredients, Eric. It's like a gumbo pot, except the gumbo pot turns into this really seamless meal. And one of the reasons why I think Powell and Pressburger, their stuff, I haven't watched. Like, I haven't, like, for example, I haven't seen The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. I haven't seen a lot of their movies. It's just that their movies are, we were talking about some kind of heaven being a light meal, but it still works. Their movies are full, full on, full stop, huge feast and it's you eat it it's hard to even review it because there's so much to say like that's why i never wanted to that's a big task for you bruce to even tackle a matter of life and death because it's such a big type of film in my opinion it's it's great i mean this is already like straight up four and a half stars probably would be five stars pretty quickly uh i was i was really sad that the version i had is it's it's a good quality print that i saw but then I went and saw the trailer for the 4K restoration. And I'm just like, oh my God, I want to see that so badly because it looks amazing. Do you know what? I bet you if Eric Holmes actually started watching some of Michael Powell's stuff and learn, if you learn about Michael Powell's story, Eric Holmes, you know, maybe a matter of life and death. You watch maybe the life and death of Colonel Blimp, which I still haven't seen yet, but everyone else loves it. That's especially, on my list. Especially the red sho- shoes. Eric Holmes, you like Black Swan, yes or no? Darren Aronofsky, yes. Black Swan. Yes. You love it? You love, you got Bruce, Bruce, you love Black Swan? Yeah, the red shoes, just as good, if not better. Black Swan is a direct homage to the red shoes. I had I had no clue, but it's a direct homage, just like the the great silence is you know, the hateful eight is is uh, you know pays respect to Sergio Cobrucci's The Great Silence. But anyways, see all those movies and then Eric Holmes, see Peeping Tom, the movie yeah. that ruined Michael Powell's career. And oh, you've seen that? Okay, so you've seen that ruined his career. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. See, uh, mind blown, (laughs) mind blown. Eric Holmes, did you know that movie Peeping Tom ruined his career? That doesn't make sense to me, but all right. Okay, so actually, probably people were thinking like this is this classic, classy filmmaker, and to them, it's like he's making this tawdry B movie. Dirty. Look how naughty and dirty he is. Yeah, he, he directed more films, I think several more films after that, but his career was never the same. And obviously, we all know the irony, Peeping Tom, today is considered a bleeping classic. So, Bruce Perky, that was your pick. Uh, thanks to Joseph Bridges for your What's in the Box segment. Great selection from Joseph Bridges. Now, on to the new Bruce Perky as you choose something else from the box. 
Eric Holmes, provide the audio and sound effects. Well, while he's uh, shaking the box and picking some, can I ask a question about the last movie? Is there a talking cat in it? Is there a talking cat in A Matter of Life and Death, Bruce Perky? Is, oh, he's, he's, what is that? What is that? What you, oh, uh, no, but there's a floating Barbie head. There's a float. There's no floating heads in what, a matter of life and death. Is there? I don't know what movie that is, but he pulled out a floating Barbie head. Wow. Um, is there? What is there? Talking cat? No, there's no talking cat. No talking cat. <laughs> All right. Now, was the was the main character? Was he a jazz pianist? Yes, absolutely. If flying bombers are being, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm picking a I'm picking a movie. The new movie from What's in the Box is On scale one to ten. Dun, dun, dun. We haven't had. Wait, Eric, you haven't said the thing you're supposed to say. say What's it. in the box? What's in the fucking box? <laughs> okay. <What's in> the <laughs> box? <laughs> this is suggested by my son Andrew. Oh, very cool, Andrew. By the way, Andrew supplies the music for our podcast. Love to you, Andrew. <laughs> He wants us, he's, of course, I'm going to have to watch it with him. Uh, the one and only Ivan, which I believe is on Disney Plus. Wow. Okay. Bruce Perky, the one and the only one Ivan. And that only guy, Ivan. The, okay. Good job, Andrew. The one and only Ivan streaming on Disney Plus. I will not rewind that film, but I'm sure it might be good. <laughs> I'm only going to, because I know Claire eventually will want to see it. So I'll, I'll probably see it. If nothing else, it's gonna it's gonna elicit an Ivan story that I have for you. Oh, very good. Ivan's Based a terrible story. On very good. Tacoma, Washington. Oh. It might include gorilla information. Oh, very ooh. okay. My third favorite type of information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ivan. The only Ivan I know is Ivan Putski, aka the Polish hammer from WWF back in the 80s. That's enough Ivan references. Ivan the what is it called? What Ivan the The one and only Ivan. The one and only Ivan. That is the latest what's in the box selection selected by Bruce's son, Andrew. Again, if you want to suggest more movies, hit up Bruce Perky at Bruceperky at gmail.com. Hit him up on Rostomeyer or just hit him up on our Cinematics Facebook group. I'm trying to think, do we have anything else? Again, stay tuned with for our Maya Darren director spotlight for next week. Possibly we might even do Bloody Hell. I'm going to might do my job once in a while, get these, get all of us screening links for Bloody Hell. Bruce is recently one for one because he suggested a thousand cuts. We all enjoyed the movie. Eric Holmes, final thoughts before we go. Final thoughts. Listen to Middle Class Film Class and go and subscribe to let's crash this parade on youtube very cool bruce Perky, any final things you want to say plugs things just, yeah just go listen to those podcasts also i would mention the movie bears podcast because william oh. lewindis was partly suggested the hunter hunter movie so there you go okay so that is it we love you guys hit us up info at findyourscene.com or hit us up and remember eric holmes is hamslime at gmail.com i think he he made a, a sort of a little bit of a a, a funny booty call reference last week if you want to he's gonna drop his number last week he's not dropping his number folks i'm editing i think i kind of edited that one out but if you want to talk oh before we go no i have something yeah. i have something yes yes booty call you kind of zoom past this when we were talking about video vhs dating greg yeah is okay, there so a VHS tape of you out there somewhere? Is there a tape? No, no, it's uh, 
those kind of tapes would like Eric you find Coles that would, tape, please email it to <laughs> hamslime at gmail.com. <laughs> hamslime at gmail.com. The answer to your question. Is there any dating tapes of me from the VHS years uh, from the late 80s, early 90s? The answer, Bruce Perky, is a definite no. Because to Eric Holmes's point, if I ever did one of those VHS tapes of me, it would be a one-hander. So that's a sad story. <laughs> okay. Then I'm done. Okay. So we are done with another week. Find your, awesome. <laughs> find your film. If you have any movie recommendations, hit us up. We will see you guys next week. Take care and uh, have fun watching movies. <laughs> Take Bye.